Thanks for inviting Mission City Church to join you wherever you are today. We've got a great message for you, so let's go ahead and get started. Well, good morning. Good to see you today. If you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to the book of Revelation. Uh, is where we're going to be uh, this morning, just continuing our series. We've been in walking through uh, the book of Revelation. Super uh, glad to be with you this morning. The first 11 o'clock service, you get like credit for being at the 11 o'clock. I, I joked, somebody said, you know, we hadn't seen you in the 1030 service in a while. And I said, well, 1030 was too early for me. Uh, 11 o'clock feel, feels a lot better. Uh, but also just as you're finding Revelation chapter 19, I just wanna make you aware, uh, my wife Becky and I are taking a group to Israel. Uh, on uh, uh, December 26th through January 4th of this year. And uh, super excited about that. We've been over there. This will be, I think, my ninth time over there. But uh, just a great, great, uh, not only trip, but just spiritual experience to to see the Bible come alive. And uh, we'd love for you to join us. So there are some sheets like this outside on your way out with a little QR code. If you're interested in finding out more about that, uh, grab one of those and we would love to uh, visit with you about that. We'll have a meeting coming up. Uh, on June 2nd here at the Central Campus. So as you think about Revelation, and let me just kind of walk through everything. If you're new to Mission City Church, if you haven't been with us, you've kind of been hit or miss on or off, that's great. Uh, but we're glad that you're here today. But understand, as you walk through a book of the Bible, that a book, the books of the Bible go together, right? And so we've been walking through Revelation, starting in Revelation chapter 1. We're now to chapter 19. Not necessarily going to every single chapter, but looking at the big picture. One of the great things about going through a book of the Bible is you see the consistency and you see the story all the way through, what's being communicated. So as you think about uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation was a letter to the seven churches. So in the beginning, when you start the book of Revelation, it was a letter to the seven churches. They would physically take the book of Revelation and they would read it out loud in its entirety to the whole congregation and everybody understood it, right? How many times have you read Revelation from the beginning to the end and understood it, right? Probably none of us, but it was written to them, right? So it's to them for us. And that's why today, over 2,000 years later, we look at it sometimes, we're like, this is confusing, I don't understand this. Much of Revelation uh, is written in a symbolic way, right? There, there's not really dragons flying around or, or really a prostitute on a beast like we talked about two weeks ago. These are symbolic. They're, they're meant to elicit emotion in a way that just you know, describing it normally wouldn't elicit emotion. And so we're walking through the book of Revelation. In the beginning, it is a letter to the churches. And then we kind of move from there and you see this amazing uh, vision. John is invited into the throne room of God. Like that, that's hard to even fathom. But, but God is the center of the universe, of all things created. Whether you acknowledge that or not, whether you live like that's a fact or not, it is true that everything was made by him and for him. It revolves around him and he is the center of the universe and worship for all eternity. And, and outside of that, we, we see these, these judgments, right? These scrolls. And we have uh, seven trumpets, seven seals, and seven bowls that we walk through. These are the judgments of God. And they're not chronological. It's not like one happens and the next happens and the next happens. It's cyclical. Basically, it's different views. It would be like watching a football game if you're a, a sports person. And, you know, sometimes the national championship game, they'll have three or four channels all with different angles and views of the same game that's happening. 
Well, that's, that's the judgment. It's not three different. They're happening together. It's cyclical. But there's definitely an increase in the intensity as we get closer to the end. So if we walk through all this, the, these first 18 chapters, last week or two weeks ago before Easter, we're in chapter 17 and 18. It's this description of the fall of Babylon, which represents corrupt religious and political systems. And, and these systems are pointing people away from Christ. So when you see Babylon in Scripture, it's these, again, corrupt political religious systems that are pointing people away from Christ, that are trying to communicate that our hope, our trust, our security should be put in these systems and not God. You, You can see where that would be a problem. And so in chapter 17 and 18, you see this great prostitute and and the beast and the destruction of Babylon. And that brings us, and I'm excited about today, that brings us to the triumphant return of Jesus Christ. You've had all these bowls and all these judgments. We're getting to the triumphant return of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, look in Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to read the whole chapter, not at once. There's really kind of three sections that we're going to look at. But we're going to begin here in Revelation chapter 19 uh, in verse 1. It says, After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. All right? Now I want you to say that with me right now. Hallelujah. That was weak. We're going to do it one more time. Hallelujah. Right? Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all of you as servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you of your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So so you have this this first section here that we're looking at in Revelation chapter 19. And this is the worship and praising of God for his justice. Rather, they're actually worshiping God and praising God because God is doing everything that he said that he was going to do. They're worshiping him for his justice. Now, there's a word that appeared four different times. And I may just say it out loud. Remember what that word is? How many of you know what hallelujah means? So hallelujah is one of those church words that we say and we sing about, but we actually don't have a clue what it means. Hallelujah means praise Yahweh or praise God. So when you say hallelujah, if you've been in one of those churches where the preachers preach and people are like, hallelujah, they're just saying praise God. Now here's what's interesting. As much as we sing hallelujah, as much as we say hallelujah, 
This is the first time in the New Testament that we see the word hallelujah. That, that basically you have, it seems like, 26 books of the New Testament up to this point and 18 chapters building up to this moment that finally everybody's like, hallelujah, praise God, Jesus is coming back. Isn't that awesome to think about? They're worshiping God in His justice and they're saying, hallelujah, God the Father is being worshiped. And and in His worship, there's some characteristics of God that I think are important for us to see as we think about our own worship, these characteristics of God. One, God is glorious, right? Again, glorious, that word glory, we talk about all the time in church. Do we really know what it means? Give God glory. What are we giving God? Well, God's glory is a beauty that emanates from his character, from all that he is, right? You think about glory, God is where glory comes from. So when we say, give God glory, the glory is already his. Glory comes from him. Now, here's what's interesting to think about. God, because God uh, is glory, glory emanates from God. You know what? God doesn't like to share his glory. And every time we want to to give man glory or, or ascribe glory to something that is created, the Bible says that God's a jealous God. Why? Because he created us to glorify him. So they're singing these praises about God and his justice. They're saying that God is, is glorious, right? And far too often, again, we exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. But they're standing in the throne room. They're seeing God in all of his glory and they're worshiping him and they're praising him. And then we see that God is omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? That God is omnipotent. It's one of the four omnis. What? All powerful, right? That God is all powerful. That he's able to do anything. That nothing is impossible with him. And depending on your life, depending on what you're walking through, depending on what you're dealing with right now, you, you need to praise God that he is omnipotent because you're in a circumstance or a situation in your life where maybe you need to be healed. And the doctor's like, we don't know. Man, we need an omnipotent God. Maybe you're in a place in your relationship with your spouse and it looks like there's no hope. You're crying out to an omnipotent God. Maybe you're dealing with some kind of, uh, of substance that, that has a hold on your life and nothing seems to be working, you need to cry out to an omnipotent, all-powerful God that nothing, listen to me, nothing is impossible with God. Would you just say that with me right now? Nothing is impossible with God. Right at that moment, that place where you feel like you have no hope, where you're at your lowest point, where there doesn't seem like there's any way you need to claim this God is an omnipotent God and and inside of his will and his sovereignty anything that he wants to do he can do be encouraged in that God's omnipotent then we see that God is just God is just now now here's what I want us to camp out on for just a minute because I think as we walk through Revelation, especially when you're walking through these judgments and they sound horrific and all these things taking place and all this symbolism, it, it, it's easy to look at that and think, well, God is not loving. If God was really loving, he would just forgive everybody. Right? If God was really loving, he, w- he would look down, he'd be like, well, that's not that bad. And, I, you know, you don't have to have all this destruction. You're talking about hail falling from the sky and burn, all these crazy, crazy things. 
But they're worshiping him for his justice. That they were actually, the martyrs were actually crying out at the beginning of Revelation, begging God, asking God for his justice. Now, when you think about justice, God is just. That means that he's perfectly righteousness, righteous in his treatment of his creation. And just think about that. God created everything. You are his creation. You're, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. He's righteous in his treatment of creation. And because we're his creation, to some extent, some of the characteristics of God we see in our own lives, whether we worship God or not. And one of those characteristics that we see in our own lives is justice. We want justice, right? If we feel like that we've been wronged, if someone driving out of the church runs into your car and it's their fault, what do you want? Justice, right? I want insurance, I wanna get paid, I want justice. They wronged me, they ran into my car. Or, or let's just take it to a whole nother level. Let, let's think about Hitler. We all know who Hitler is. Let's say you're in the 1950s, right? Some of you remember that time. 1950s. And Hitler didn't really die. He faked his death. Matter of fact, he's found in Germany and he's arrested and he's brought to trial. Now, now if you know your history, you know about Hitler. He was responsible for the murder of millions and millions of people. Like his atrocities are so great, his crimes are so great that when he's brought before the judge and they're reading his crimes, it takes nine hours. They're just like, and this, and he killed this person, and he did this, and he did this. And let's just say the courtroom's packed, uh, televisions, newspapers, everybody's reporting on this. This is Hitler, right? We want justice. And the judge looks at Hitler after reading all of the crimes, all the murders, everything that he's done. And he looks at him, he goes, listen, I know what you've done, but I think you've learned your lesson. Not guilty. What's gonna happen? We are going to lose our ever loving minds. That's what's gonna happen. People are gonna freak out. They're gonna be screaming in the courtroom, all the papers, all the media, everything is just gonna be going nuts. Matter of fact, I'd be surprised if Hitler even made it out of the courtroom. Somebody would just take justice into their own hands. Now you listen to that story, you're like, well, that's, that's crazy. But understand, because we are God's creation and, and part of God's characteristics rest in us and live in us because God is a just God, we want justice. The emotion of, of outrage that we have around injustice shows that we want justice. When we know that the verdict is not just, it's intolerable to us. We want punishment that fits the crime. We're, we inherit this sense of justice from our creator. Go back to Adam and Eve. In the very beginning, God created man. Wasn't good for him to be alone. God created Eve, put him in the garden, put them over everything. Now you realize before sin, there was only one rule. Wouldn't that be great? Like we can't even get in our car without having to follow a hundred rules. One rule, I'm putting you in the garden. I'm giving you dominion over everything. Here's it. Here's it. Don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you do it, I'm just letting you know, you'll die. Okay, just letting you know up front. One rule, that's it. What happened? Adam and Eve sinned. A Adam and Eve basically told God, we'll do as we please. 
Well, what's the results of that? Maybe you're thinking, well, that's not a big deal. I mean, she ate an apple, right? Th- think about all this trouble we have in the world. It's a result of Eve eating an apple. The crime doesn't seem so great for those of us who wear Adam's skin, but consider heaven's viewpoint. The great God Almighty, the unchallenged ruler of everything, the Lord of angel armies who's worthy of adoration and worship has been defied by the dust that he formed into people. And he told them the result before it ever happened. Listen, don't do this, please. Because if you do, you'll die. Because there has to be payment for sin. The penalty of sin is death. And since Adam and Eve, God, in our lives, please don't. Please don't do that. Please don't make that decision. And what do we do? We do the same thing as Adam and Eve. We will do as we please. And because God is just, he cannot make a rule and establish a penalty and then not follow through when the rule is broken. But here's what's awesome. God is also love. So so instead of just enacting his punishment on everybody who's ever sinned, which is every single one of us, because he's also love to satisfy justice without destroying humanity and human beings, what did he do? He sent Jesus. That's what we celebrated last week. Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. God's justice, God's wrath was poured out on his son so that those who embrace Jesus, who believe in Jesus could be saved. Now here's the deal. God is just. If you don't accept the penalty and payment that Jesus paid on your behalf, then you get to pay it. And that's what we see all throughout Revelation. And again, as you think about this and justice, those that are worshiping God and singing to God are not complaining about God's justice. They're worshiping God in his justice. Because they want, they want God's justice to happen so that death and destruction and all the horrible things, everything bad, cancer and all these things that we deal with, so all of those things will be dealt with. That Jesus will come back and, and God will establish a new heaven, a new earth. They're longing for God's justice. And here's the reason why sometimes we have a problem with God's justice. It's because we've grown too comfortable with sin. Because we justify, right? That, that's our nature. My kids do it all the time. I get on them about something. Hey, I told you not to do this. You did this. You're grounded. You knew what the repercussions were. You did it. You're grounded. Hey, but, but I'm not as bad as Tommy. You, you ought to see what Tommy does. You, you think I'm bad. You ought to see him. And what happens as we've grown comfortable with, with sin, as we've grown comfortable with this place as our heaven on earth, what happens? We don't long for God's justice. We don't long for, for Jesus to come back and, 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 and bring the new heaven and new earth. Like, we, we kind of like it here. But they're worshiping God for his justice. We, we see that they're worshiping because he's eternal. That God is forever. We see that when he talks about the great prostitute, that the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. That God is eternal. And then in verse 6, we see a, a wedding. How many of you like to go to weddings? Appreciate all the women out there raising their hand. Guys typically are not like, oh, I can't wait to go to this wedding. This is the one wedding you don't want to miss. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. We see about it in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 25. The bride here in this wedding is the church. Now, what is the church not? Church is not a building. 
We're not talking about the Mission City church building or whatever church building. The church is those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about that the church, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are are presented to Jesus as his bride. And think about it, men, we, we understand this. If you're married, remember when you're getting married, if you can remember back that day if you weren't too nervous. Remember when you're standing down front, remember when the bride came in? And you were overwhelmed. Man, look at, beautiful. And this is my bride. That's how Jesus receives us. Here's my bride. Here's the people that, I died for these people. These people have put their faith and trust in me. And so the bride, it comes to the marriage supper of the lamb. And it says in verse nine, blessed are those who are invited. Who's invited? All those who are in Christ Jesus. The church. This is the, the marriage supper you don't want to miss. So, so you see this picture, this first kind of picture of, of God worshiped, right, in the midst of, of his judgment. But then you see Christ as judge. And, and, and as we look at this, look in verse 11, we see that Christ is going to return. This is what's called the second coming of Christ. Have you ever heard of that? The second coming of Christ in verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire on his head are many diadems. Now again, think back to the symbolism. Remember the the, the beast and and, and the dragon had diadem as well, a limited number. But this is showing power and authority like many diadems, way, way, way more than than the beast or, 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 or the dragon. And on him is written the name that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Now, who's this talking about? Who? Jesus. I love the confidence. Jesus, Jesus, right? This is Jesus. The problem is it doesn't sound like little baby Jesus in a manger, does it? Right, this is Jesus coming, Jesus as he, as he really is. And it talks about that he's going to return. He's going to return because he's faithful and true. Look at verse 11, right? It, it says that the one sitting on this horse is called faithful and true. That's a description of Jesus. Jesus said he was going to come back. And what's happening? Jesus is coming back. Now, I'm not going to try to dig up a, a, a bunch of, you know, heartache from your past growing up, but, but probably all of us remember a time, if your parents were around, that your parents promised you something that they didn't come through on. Oh, I'm going to be at that baseball game. Oh, I'm going I'm I'm to get your car when you turn 16. All these things, and we're 40, 50, 60 years old. We can remember back when I was eight years old. I remember that moment. Your parents loved you. They didn't mean to, but what happens? They, they would promise something that they couldn't come through on. Jesus is faithful and true. He said he's coming back. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. Jesus will return. It says that he's coming to judge, that he's going to judge through the word of God. That is, that is a name for Jesus. He is the truth. He is the word. In the beginning, John chapter 1, was the word. Who's it talking about? It's a capital W. You said it earlier. There you go, Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. All things were made by him and through him. 
That, that's who this is. And, and, and so Jesus is coming and he's going to return. He's coming to judge, but he's also going to, to return to judge for his father. Look in chapter, uh, verse 17 of, of, of uh, chapter 19. It says, then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Now, this is interesting to me. This is the kind of stuff maybe only preachers think about. But when I read scripture, I'm not just reading it to read it like, like really, I want to kind of let this, let this, you know, be on me and really think about this. Imagine if, if, if I was standing here and the sun was behind me, what are you going to see? The sun, right? The, the brightness of the sun is just going to drown me out. Like Matt's going to be nothing. But this says... That, that there was an angel standing in the sun. So, so what does that tell me? That the brightness, that the radiance of this angel reflecting the glory of God was brighter than the sun. That like John is seeing the angel and not just the sun. So you have this angel, the brightness, the radiance, the reflection of the glory of God standing there and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat of the flesh of the kings, right? It says flesh of the captains, flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses and the riders and the flesh of all the men, both free and slave, both small and great. Now, let me tell you what's happening here. They're getting ready for a battle. You've heard of the battle of Armageddon? Heard that before? Heard that terminology anyway? If you, if you go with us over to Israel, we can go to the valley of Armageddon. You can see you're up on top of this mountain. You see this huge valley. And you're like, that would be a good place for a battle, right? But, but here's, what's, here's what's interesting. This battle is not going to be much of a battle. Matter of fact, as I was just reading about this, I was thinking, thinking back to, to Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, there's a story um, or an account of, of uh, these seven sons of the high priest, the seven sons of Sceva. Anybody know that story? You're like, oh, that's one of my favorites. No, probably not. But here's how the story goes. This is in Acts. God's doing awesome things. The Holy Spirit's moving in power. Uh, people are getting healed. Pe demons are being cast out of people. And so literally they said that, that the power of God was so great that just like articles and clothing and stuff from Paul they were just taking and like driving demons out and healing people. And so these guys, these sons of Sceva are like, we want to do that. So they go find this possessed guy. Probably wouldn't recommend you doing this. They go find this possessed guy and they're like, hey, we want to do what Paul's doing. And so they say, they go, this possessed guy, seven of them, in the name of Jesus and Paul who follows him, come out. Now, how many of you have ever heard the term, he got his pants beat off? You ever heard that before? That saying comes from this. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever gotten a fight before. But if you walk into a fight with your pants on and you come out with your pants gone, you lost the fight. <laughs> Seven guys come in on this, this possessed one. They're like, in the name of Jesus and Paul who follows him. And his response was so funny. I know Jesus... I've heard of Paul, don't know who y'all are, let's go, right? Now, I read that, that's funny to me, it's like they literally got their pants beat off. This makes that look like nothing. Because here's what's interesting as you, as you read about this, and we're going to go back in just a second and read before verse 17. The army lined up behind Jesus, you know what they're wearing? 
white linen. How many of you have white shoes? Anybody have white shoes? Okay, these are my, these are my dress white tennis shoes for church, right? That makes my mom just cringe every time I say that. Uh, I only wear these shoes to church. Why? Because they're impossible to keep clean. Like they have stuff, it drives me crazy. They have stuff on them walking from my truck inside the church, right? You don't wear white to something where you expect there to be a dust up. This army behind Jesus, all white. What's their expectation? This battle's not gonna be a battle. I'm not even gonna get dirty. We're gonna see in just a second, literally the sword out of Jesus' mouth, his very words, and the battle is over. Look in verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Now, again, remember all the, uh, the judgments, the, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, and every time there's an opportunity to repent, and what do they do? Over and over, they shook their fists at God. So after all that, here's the beast, here's the false prophet gathering all the kings, all the people, all, all great and small together to go have a battle against God. It says the, pe- the beast was captured. With it, the false prophet who was in the presence had done the, uh, the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Right, it, it's a little graphic, but, but this battle wasn't much of a battle. The beast and the false prophet are are thrown in the lake of fire, burning sulfur. All those who gathered in battle with them by the words of Jesus are killed, destroyed. It says that the birds literally gorge themselves on the flesh of, of these who came to fight against God. Now, here's what I want you to see. Number one, the battle was never in dispute. Number two, and this is what's so important as you think about this, this, this judgment, this battle that's taking place, there's no more mercy. God takes sin seriously. God is a just God. There will be payment for sin. Now you hear that and you're like, God's not a loving God. If he was a loving God, no, no, God is a loving God. That's why this hadn't happened yet. That's why in the midst of of all the judgments of the bulls and the seals and, and the trumpets, every one of those judgments, what is there? There's an opportunity to repent. There's an opportunity to come back to him. God is patient. He desires that none should perish, that all should come to faith in Jesus Christ. God is a loving God. That's why this didn't happen. But it is going to happen. There is going to be a time when Jesus comes back for his church, for the bride, that there's going to be the final battle and no more mercy. It's just like when God closed up Noah's boat, right? Remember, for 120 years, repent, repent, repent. People made fun of Noah. One day, God said, get in the boat. It says that God closed the boat and it began to rain. And let that sink in. For those of us in Christ, hey, it's not going to affect me. I'm going to be at the, the, the supper of the lamb, right? The, the bride's supper, the marriage supper of the lamb. But for, 
my friends, my loved ones, people that I know, people that I work with that don't know Christ, that I don't have a burden for their lostness, that there's gonna be a time, whether it's today, tomorrow, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, I don't know. But there's gonna be a moment when Jesus comes back and for those who are in Christ, it's gonna be a glorious moment for those who are not. No more mercy because God takes sin seriously. And then the last thing that I want you to see is Christ is gonna return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Look in verse 14. It says, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I love this because you, you, you think about Jesus Right, if you grew up in church, like I, I grew up in church and we would, we'd be in Sunday school and we used to have back before, you know, phones and digital, all this, we had felt boards. Anybody of you remember a felt board? And they'd put these pictures, you'd be in Sunday school and the teacher put these pictures up on the felt board. It was great, gave you a visual, but they always had these pictures of Jesus. And the felt board Jesus that I grew up with was this little pale, frail, white, looked like he was gonna break if you blew on him. I'm like, why, why is that what we think Jesus look like, right? Number one, that's not accurate in any way. But that's like our vision of Jesus. It's, you know, it, it, it's Ricky Bobby, baby Jesus, right? In, in the manger or frail, pale Jesus. It's not this. J- just contrast and think about the difference between Jesus and his first coming and this Jesus. In, in his first coming, Jesus humbled himself, being born in a stable in Bethlehem. When he returns, he's gonna come back as king of kings and lord of lords. In the first coming, he endured the mockery of men who despised him for his goodness. He allowed them to put him to death that there might be, he might provide salvation for the world. When he comes again, all mockery will cease for he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. He came the first time as the lamb of God. He comes again as the lion of the tribe of Judah. 2,000 years ago, religious leaders shouted in scorn. He saved others, but he can't save himself. The day is coming when the whole world will see Jesus as he really is. When that happens, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Around... Around the first coming inscribed was the word humility in letters large and bold. Around his second coming inscribed the word glory so that all the world may see that that though he was once despised and rejected of men, one day he will return in power and great glory, heralded by angels and accompanied by his saints. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is is Jesus. That is the Jesus that's coming for his bride and coming for the church and coming to deliver God's judgment. And here's the word for us today. If if you're listening to all this or you're like, okay, that's good. That's information. What's the application for us? It's the same as it all is all through Revelation. One, we need to be ready. The Bible says that Jesus doesn't even know the day that he's going to return. So any preacher that tries to tell you when it's happening, he's lying. Just tell you, that's, that's the truth. Jesus is up in heaven and he's ready. And one day God's gonna go like, today's the day. 
And all these things that we just read, these things are going to take place. So we need to be ready. We need to be about the gospel. While there's an opportunity for people to repent, to come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we need to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. People that desperately need Jesus, they need someone to tell him about it. And if you're one of these people that have kind of, you know, bought this lie of the world that, well, you know, all, all ways lead to God. You have your own way and they have their own way and we have our different way and they're going to be okay and we're going to be okay. Not according to the Bible. So we need to be diligent. We need to be about the gospel. We need to be focusing on the eternal and not the things that are temporary. That's why one of the calls of revelation to the church is radical holiness. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be separate. It means to be set apart. It means to be different. That as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I aren't supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to be different. People should look at our lives and be like, they live for the eternal. That didn't make sense to me, but they live for the eternal. Right? We need to, to be ready. We need to be about the gospel. We need to live for the eternal. And here's what's awesome. We're going to see this in a few weeks. When all this happens, when we have the the final judgment, God's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. No more sickness, no more dying, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Man, I can't wait for that day. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, the truth of your word. God, we thank you that, that, God, you gave us revelation. A strong book, a difficult book in in many areas. But Father, we rejoice when we read that, that Jesus, just like your word says, is faithful and true. That he says he's coming back for us so we, we can rest assured he's coming back for us. And, and for those of us who are in Christ, that's going to be a glorious day. That's going to be a, a wonderful day. But God, there's people even in this room this morning that don't know Jesus and that's not gonna be a wonderful day because God is a just God and there will be judgment for sin. As much as God is love and as much as God is is delaying and, and desiring that people would come to him, there's going to be a time when it's finished. So God, I pray if there's anybody here, anybody listening online, if they don't know Jesus Christ, that they would see the importance of this moment. And the opportunity they have to repent and to give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. And Father, for, the, for those of us that we know we're saved, we know that we know Jesus. And, and God, we, we listen to this and we read this and we're excited that Jesus is going to come back and we're going to be with you for all of eternity. God, I pray that, that you would burden our hearts. That Father, that we would pursue radical holiness in our life. God, that we would live for the eternal. All these things that we put so much, so much effort into. These things that we we rely on for our security and our comfort and our protection, they're all going to fade away. God, the only thing that's going to be left is you. God, and we long for that day when there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more heartache, no more tears when we get to be with you forever and ever. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. At Mission City Church, we love people and love how the good news of Jesus transforms lives and we want to see it more every day. 
Stop by missioncity.church to check out what we are up to that you can be a part of. It is also where you can share a gift to support the ministries of Mission City in San Antonio. Be blessed. Till next time.